This week, all the things we got planned for you today. I'm going to... Uh, we got a few things we're going to do. First, we're going to show you a video from our learning center next door. Uh, we're going to start off our service. We welcome all you that have joined us from around the globe. Some of you are traveling. Some of our congregations traveling already. So we know a lot of them are probably watching us. And those of you that are regular watchers, wherever you're at in the United States and around the globe, we welcome you. Merry Christmas to everybody that's here in the building and to those who are watching. Uh, this morning, I'm going to share some things with you. I'm going to uh, uh, set some stuff up. Then we're going to correct some things. Then I'm going to teach. And then I'm going to preach. You're going to get all four of those for the price of one. <laughs> What's that? Well, they advertise BOGO or something like that. Uh, so, but first things first, we welcome all of you all. And uh, we hope that your focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. As you'll see, and we've talked about over the years, Jesus probably most certainly wasn't born this time of year, but we do need to celebrate that God sent His Son to the earth. So we should make sure that we own that as Christians. This is not about all the material things or the culture, but it's about God sending His Son to earth and rescuing us. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got a chance to be rescued. Go ahead. And... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if you would, I want you to, there's a video we're going to show you of what, uh, just a little snippet of what goes on next door in our learning center all week long, all year long, actually. Uh, we're going to show you a little clip of that, so uh, just uh, give your attention to that. So we still teach geography. <laughs> in a culture where no one teaches geography, we still teach it. So we're thankful for what's going on. That is not a daycare next door. It is a learning center. So we teach them about Jesus first and foremost, but we also prepare them to go into school, whichever school they choose, whether it's a Christian school beyond this Christian environment or the public school, whatever. But we're trying to get that foundation in them here. So... You just got a little taste of what goes on. They don't just feed them over there and change diapers. So we should be thankful that God's given us that opportunity. Amen. If you would, let's stand to our feet. We got a lot to do this morning. We're thankful for uh, the Lord's blessing. And you can see how wonderful it is for children to praise the Lord. Read you a couple of scriptures as we go on our praise and worship time. It says, uh, from Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. The only begotten son of God, I might add. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Whoo! Democrats, Republicans, Independents all have to go home, right? When he takes over. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And here's the good news. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over His kingdom. That's the good news. The good news is, the first Adam blew it in the garden. 
that ain't good news. But the good news is the second Adam, or the last Adam as he's called, Jesus fixed all that. In Him we live and move and have our being. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. He's worthy. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight.
You may think it's strange this morning for us to go to Exodus chapter 12. But as I said earlier before we started our message this morning, that I wanted us to have a little correction and then a little bit of a teaching and then some preaching. The setup is Exodus 12. We're talking about the Lamb of God. You can't talk about Jesus without understanding why He came. And to think about God sending His only begotten Son to just to die and to take our place and be resurrected. And to think of how most people would reject that and a small remnant would receive it. And that God was willing to do that anyway. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. He bought the whole field. No, he only get a small treasure out of that. But he paid the price for all the sins of the whole world. If you're in this building this morning and you've not confessed and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and followed him, then he paid for your sins whether you've accepted it or not. He bought the entire field according to the New Testament knowing he would only get a small, precious remnant. I come to you today to correct something. I want to show you what's on my board here first. As I've taught you many times here, these are the feast of Israel. These are the seven feasts that God gave them. They're holy days, holidays, holy days preferably. These seven festivals God gave. God didn't give any other holidays or holy days other than these. He did give the 10th of Nisan as you saw there in chapter 12 of Exodus. Palm Sunday is what we call it. That was the first day that God told them to continually keep. And then he brought them into these seven festivals that I've learned over time that the early rain is the first four festivals and the Latter rain is the last three festivals, and in between those times is what we call, and what Israel called, the harvest. So the harvest is going on. We're close to the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, that'll be the next festival that Jesus will fulfill with his life. He fulfilled the first four while he was here the first trip, first time. The next three he will fulfill in his second coming. He was the unleavened bread. He had no sin, as we talked about in our singing today. He is the Passover lamb, as we talked about in our singing today. And he is the first fruits of the resurrection, as we speak to at Passover and Easter time in the church. And then he sent the Holy Spirit back on Pentecost in his fullness. It wasn't that the Holy Spirit wasn't here beforehand, because... Paul said in Acts that the Holy Spirit was what was at work in Isaiah and all. So the Holy Spirit was available, but not in the measure that he was given on Pentecost. But the whole key behind that still comes back to Jesus because he had to ascend back to his place on the throne or the Holy Spirit was not going to come in the measure he was given. And in fact, the Holy Spirit don't even speak of himself. He stays behind the scenes because all he wants to do in the church is promote Jesus, Yeshua. So those four festivals Jesus fulfilled on the very days. In my thinking, I knew Jesus wasn't born at Christmas time, but I was kind of uh, 
thinking that he may have been born in tabernacles because that word stresses Jesus coming to earth and tabernacling with men. But he only stayed a short while. That festival has not been fulfilled. And to put him there being born was the best place I could put him. Since I had learned that he had not been born at Christmas time. My thinking was just that. Just some deductive logic. So I don't have time to take you on a journey to teach you everything that I've learned from the Dead Sea Scrolls and some Jewish writings that I have and from the Scripture. So I just wanted to give you one scriptural understanding that I think will help, help you in understanding why and when Jesus was born. So, if you will, you can uh, hold your place in Exodus 12. We'll come back there. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Israel was commanded to take that lamb in in chapter 12 and to hold on to that lamb and then to kill it. They were to take a lamb, of the, a male lamb that had been around one year. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But let's go to Luke chapter 2 verse 1. This is familiar Christmas readings to all of us. Said that it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and to the world should, that the world should be registered. This was this census first took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called, him, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. We'll come back to that statement. No room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. That's an important phrase. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, talking to these shepherds, of great joy, which shall be to all people, everybody. Because all of us are in sin, we're born into sin, that's our biggest problem. Your biggest problem is not what you're going to eat tomorrow, although sometimes that's been an issue maybe for every family in this church. Maybe you barely skipped by. Maybe you've had a lean time. But our greatest problem is what are we going to do with our sin? Because if we don't find a remedy for our sin, then we're going to spend eternity away from God in torment and punishment. You remember what Abraham said to Isaac as they were going up the hill? Most theologians believe that Isaac was a uh, man in his 30s at that time. And so Abraham is taking his son willfully. He's going along with this willfully because Abraham is well into his hundreds by now taking Isaac up on that hill. So Abraham, Isaac 
could have overpowered Abraham, most likely in the natural, but he's got the wood laid on his shoulders. They're at the bottom of the hill. They're headed up. He makes the servants stay at the foot. Him and the son go up. And the son's carrying the wood, typifying the cross that is to come to lay on Jesus. You can't read the Old Testament and not see Jesus. It's full of Jesus. And as they go up the hill, they get up there, and Isaac's going to be the sacrifice. And he says, where's the lamb? And Abraham makes a powerful statement. He says, God himself will prepare the lamb. That was a message that rang throughout the history of the world. That he was going to provide us a lamb. And that lamb is his son. He says to these shepherds, said he's going to, uh, for unto you this, uh, for there is born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ our Lord. And, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a, an angel. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them to heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So the shepherds are out in the field, and it's important that the Bible put the one detail there in Luke, that they were out there by night. Lambs are, uh, sheep are lambed one time a year, and Israel's practice was to breed those lambs in late fall so that they would be born in early spring. Bethlehem was the city that provided, the, was the primary source where lambs would be provided for the temple of God. So it was all fitting that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem because God Himself was giving us a lamb that He was going to send to the temple. Men would reject Him when He came to their temple, but then after His resurrection, He would ascend into the main sanctuary which was the true sanctuary which Moses patterned the earthly sanctuary after. So in walks Jesus between his resurrection and revealing himself to his followers in walks Jesus into, the, into eternity and shows the blood for the true tabernacle. So Jesus was fulfilling the lamb that was sacrificed on Passover was also born during Passover. So for the first time in my life, I understand what was going on with Jesus. Those shepherds would not be out in the field at nighttime because their sheep would have been corralled in other times of the year, they wouldn't have had to have been out in the field at nighttime. They were out in the field at nighttime because the lambs were getting ready to give birth. And they had to watch for that. And it's fitting that the lamb that was born would first be announced to the shepherds of all people. The lowly shepherds. 
the ones who were caretakers and watchers of lambs. So I'm in that camp. After learning more and studying more, I'm in that camp that Jesus was born in the unleavened Passover season and he also laid his life down there. He's coming back to fulfill those other three festivals. Those are the latter rain. He will fulfill those. And he fulfilled these four festivals on the very days and the weeks that they happen. So it would be a stretch for us to say that he's not going to fulfill the other three festivals. In fact, if you're in any laboratory, you would not have the liberty in any... I'm talking about even in the natural... You would have no liberty to say A is A and B is B and C is C and D is D, but E's not E and F's not F, and you wouldn't allow, even humans wouldn't allow that. So here we see God's pattern clearly. He loves the number seven. Seven means completion, it means perfection in the Hebrew. And so here we see God's plan unfolded with this lamb. And who is that lamb? The only begotten Son of God, Jesus. Let's go back to Exodus 12 and let's go through this. Let me show you this as I teach just a little bit more and then I'm going to get into some preaching. Now the, the Lord spoke to Moses, it's what you heard. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron uh, in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the new year to you. So Israel had two new years. They had the year of the fall around uh, Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets. That was when the Hebrews teach that the world was created. Then God steps into this moment and gives them another new year. This is a new year of deliverance, of freedom. They would have a new year representing salvation to us. You and I are first created physically... And then when we accept Jesus, we are born again, is what the New Testament... So we have two births, right? You and I are like... That's a picture of the new birth, right? We are born physically first, and then somewhere, hopefully you've done this, along your journey, you were born again, and as you were born again, you now have a new birthday. You have a second birth, similar to what God has taught them here with His calendar. So as they come into this moment, they get a new new, new year, if I can say that right. It shall be the first month of year, uh, Nisan, or Nisan, how you want, beginnings. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. And if you calculate this back, this would be what we would uh, illustrate as Palm Sunday. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for that lamb, let him and his neighbor next to the house take it according to the number of the person. So as you watch this fall out, Jesus would have been crucified after four days. He would have been in the grave parts of three days because their, their day starts in the evening. The evening and the morning are the first day. And all this works itself out to bring Jesus out of the grave. The seven-day festival of unleavened bread. It's all a beautiful plan that God has. And He says, you're going to take this lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for a lamb. Your lamb shall, here he is, Jesus, he shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. So this lamb would be a year old coming back 
to the time that it was born, Passover, and would be sacrificed as well. So this is a picture of what we see with Jesus transpiring, taking place. And you'll get a lot more teaching and preaching on that probably uh, as we combine Passover and what we call Easter. Now, let me take you into the preaching side of what I want to do with you this morning. The shepherds are out there. Jesus was being born during this time. I feel confident this is when he was born, helping fulfill the whole plan of God. The tabernacles would have come, will come later when Jesus actually brings his kingdom. There'll be a new heaven, new earth, Jerusalem, the millennial time. Jesus will be here on earth where people can actually see him and, be a, and actually go and, and be where Jesus is at in the natural. And Hosea talks about that when he tells Israel he's going to raise them back up. They were gone. Hosea chapter 6 says Israel was gone for 2,000 years or two days as is the calendar, 1,000 years. I'm trying to stay out of all that because I want to get in it. But uh, so that they would be raised up in the last day on that last time to live in his sight. We're in his presence now. But there's coming a day, and that's why this hourglass is here. We believe that day is soon when the Lord will come back and fulfill the Feast of Trumpets. He will fulfill Yom Kippur, and he will fulfill tabernacles as he will set up his kingdom here on earth. So as we look at all that, I want to take you to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, let me take you into a, a part of the, the message Actually, let me take you to John chapter 1 first. Let's go to St. John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, and this is a familiar passage. So I wanted you to see how Jesus came to the earth. He came to the earth in a time when the shepherds were out in the fields. And the only time they are out in the fields at nighttime is when they're waiting on lambs to be born. And so the lambs in Israel were born in early spring, usually around in the month of Nisan was what they tried to target and so all that makes sense now as he was born in Bethlehem, the place, the primary place for lambs to be provided for the, the temple and the sacrificing, all that going on. And then John gives us the spiritual side of that, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Latin Bible, which was written before English, uh, a lot of Bibles were written before English, but uh, the Latin Bible, the sermo, the word sermo is used here for word. And that, uh, we get the word sermon. It's a cognate of that same root. And we just kind of borrow a word sometimes from other languages and bring them over. So our word sermon comes from this word sermo. So the Latin would say in the beginning was the sermo. And the sermo was with God and the sermo was God. We translated that word, nothing wrong with that. The word is God and he is, he is, his word is part of who he is. But here I want to make a point here. This word sermon is important because in sermon, Jesus is the only individual who's ever promoted a following. And I want to say it that way. We call it religions and teachings now, and I get that. But Jesus is the only one that preached himself. Nobody else did that. Now, if you study Buddha, Buddha was Buddha never claimed to be deity. They made Buddha deity 700 years after he was gone. He didn't claim to be deity. But over time, you have these men like Buddha, Mohammed, Confucius, 
and even modern day uh, so-called messiahs, people who give people a path. In fact, Buddha talked about the extremes of both sides of things, and he decided to go down the middle. He thought that was the best way, right? But he, he never claimed to be deity. They made him deity after he was gone many, many years. Mohammed, all these guys who now stand, and he promoted a false religion and lied. Joseph Smith, I could go on and on and on with people who claim to be deity, or have some level of power and authority in the spiritual realm, but they all preached a way. They preached a method. They preached a doctrine. Jesus preached Himself. Put John 14.6 up there. Let me show this to you on the screen. John 14.6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father except through me. So he didn't say, like Buddha, and again, I give Buddha a little bit of uh, uh, mercy. He never claimed to be deity. But they, Buddha said, this works for me. Now he, he was wrong, <laughs> because that's, that's not how you get from this life to the next life. But Jesus didn't say, Here's a way over here. Let me show you how it works like every other false religion has done. Jesus come into the earth and He made a powerful claim. He said, I'm the way. Speaking of Himself, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. If you're going to get to the Father or basically go to heaven, you must come through Me. Now, either Jesus was a fraud and an egotistical maniac, or He's who He said He was. And the biggest question you're ever going to have to answer in your life is not what job you're going to have, or how well off you're going to retire, or how much stuff you're going to accumulate. And when you get over 50, you realize you need to get rid of all that stuff, right? Somebody said you live the first half of your life accumulating, the second half trying to get rid of all of it. But whatever you think life is, or whatever the goals of life are, or whatever questions you have in your mind that you think you must answer, you need to understand this is the question that is the most important, that will have the greatest impact, not only on your life now, but your entire eternity, throughout eternity. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Are you going to set Him on a shelf with Buddha and Mohammed and Confucius and Joseph Smith and put anybody else you want up there, Shirley MacLaine, the promoter of the New Age, whoever you want to stick on that shelf that's running around saying, we found a way, we found a path, we found some rules and things that we think would work and will help you and benefit you, we think you ought to try this. Or are you going to take Jesus beyond that shelf where all of those folks sit and all those false religions are placed and raise Him up to the highest and say, You really are the way, the truth, and the lie. God sent His Son. He didn't have to do that. He could have said, Hey, you all had your chance. And before you get mad at Adam and Eve, just go look in the mirror. 
and realize that if you'd have been in the garden or if I'd have been in the garden, we'd have blown it too. I have no stones to throw at Adam and Eve. But God decided before Adam and Eve were created, according to the Scripture, that He would send His Son. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. And that, so in other words, Jesus had already agreed with the Father that He would come in the fullness of time and that He would lay His life down. He would die. He would be born on Passover. He would die on Passover. He would give us hope beyond this life. And here's the biggest thing you're going to run in with the world out there. When you say that, that what separates Jesus from all the other false religions is that not only did He preach Himself, but He resurrected from the dead. And the, here's what you'll hear a lot of times. Well, that's what your Bible says. Well, first of all, this is the Word of God. It's just not my Bible. But I'll take that. It is my Bible because I've trusted and believed what God has sought and said to us over the, over the eternity, over time. But it's not only that. The Jews and the Romans both testified that Jesus come out of the grave. It's not just your Bible. And the Bible says, let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So there were three witnesses, groups of people, not only his disciples, the ones whom he used to pin this down, but the Romans and the Jews. And the Jews tried to buy people off to say that it wasn't true. So now we got an established. So you got to do something with that. Why did Jesus? That's what made Jesus who he said he was. He was not an egotistical maniac. He was not a false prophet. He was a liar. So what separates him is that the grave could not hold him. He came out of that grave. So I submit to you that God is going to be faithful. He has already been faithful to fulfill unleavened bread. He's been faithful to fulfill first fruits, Pentecost, and Passover both times the way he did with a lamb back in that day. He has fulfilled all of that with his son. He's going to fulfill the next three. You can take it to the bank. I can promise you, I prophesy to you and promise to you this day, December the 24th, 2023, I guarantee you, I stake my life on this, that Jesus will fulfill those next three feasts just like He did the first four. These festivals, shoot those back up there for me. These festivals are separated for a time of the harvest. That's what happened in Israel. Just as I was sharing with the Lamb about Passover, same thing. Pentecost in Israel was what kicked off their harvest time. Their harvest ran from Pentecost to the Feast of Trumpets and through that season of tabernacles. That's when the harvest was started and completed. That's exactly what's been happening. You understand that? When the lamb was sacrificed, the one that was born on Passover and was sacrificed on Passover, when he uh, went to the cross and he went back to his rightful spot, seated back the right hand of the Father on his throne, and the Holy Spirit came, Pentecost kicked off the harvest. When the law came in the Old Testament, 3,000 people were killed. When the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were born again into the kingdom of God. The harvest kicked off 
and the harvest is still going on. But there's a, there's a twist there. If you've heard me teach on Revelation, when you get close to the end, Jesus said in Luke 21, when the time of the Gentiles comes to the close, then Israel will become the focus again. You can see that. Listen, you, you can have poor vision and see that. Because the Israels went back home in 1948. They gained control of Jerusalem in 1967. I believe that's when the countdown started. And now we're waiting for the time of the Gentiles, he said, to come to a close. And, and that's coming soon because Jerusalem is no longer. And that's what it hinged on. He said, when you see Jerusalem no longer controlled by the Gentiles. And everybody's had their foot over there from the Turks to the all kinds of people have tried to control Jerusalem. But in 1967, in the Six-Day War, when Israel took back control of all of that, they gained that city and took back control of it. Do you realize that Bill Clinton was the, the closest president in American history to barter peace over there? And the reason he couldn't barter peace is because Israel would not relinquish the Temple Mount, control of the Temple Mount. Do you know how good they are to the Muslims? Israel don't even use it. They just control it because they're smart. They knew if they give them control of it, they'll blow them up, as we've seen evidence of just in the last couple of months. But here's the thing. Israel still lets Muslims go up there and worship all the time. They're kind to them, but they will not relinquish control. We're coming to the end of time. And here's the only question that's going to be before you when you stand before God someday. He's not going to ask you how much money you made. He's not going to ask you how many people you fed in a soup kitchen. All those, those things are important. He's not going to ask you how many uh, degrees you have or how much this you got. What he's going to ask you is what did you do with my greatest gift in the history of the world? Did you accept my son as your Lord and Savior? Do you understand what went on in Passover when I sent him? Do you understand 33 years later what went on in Passover when I had him put to death? And do you understand three days later what it meant for you when he came out of that grave. There's a practical side to salvation. And here's what I want to say to you. You and I could not stand or exist in God's presence. You saw as Cheyenne was talking about there at the end the holiness of the Lord. He's so holy. We've never met anybody like God. And the best person in your mind, and everybody's probably got somebody that they think they know that is just like the epitome of being a good person, doesn't even come close to being how good and how holy God is. The practical side of Christianity, of salvation, is this, that you and I, if we did not have the clothing of God in our lives, if we were not clothed with the righteousness of Christ, then you and I, could not stand. We wouldn't even exist. We'd disintegrate. You can't walk into the presence of the Almighty Holy God without being clothed with the righteousness of His Son. God don't accept our performance. And I got a feeling that there's a lot of people in our culture that think when they get to heaven, they're just going to talk God down. As if God don't know everything and see everything. And, and He knows how faithful He's been to every single one of us. He knows how He's brought His Son in front of our face and confronted us with the reality of eternity. You're just living. Listen, I, I walk out here and I see some of these young, uh, young uh, men and women out here in the foyer. And I'm thinking, my goodness, you were three years old last week, weren't you? And now they're 15. And I'm thinking about my own self. My oldest child's going to be 30 this year. 
And I'm only 38. I don't know <laughs> how that works. But here, so you got to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, right? You got to be clothed. That's how you can't just waltz into God and say, I was a good person. You got to accept Jesus Christ. I, I, I feel the Holy Spirit right here, so I'm going to stay right here. That this righteousness, Paul talks about in Romans how the righteousness is imputed. He uses both of these words, imputed and imparted. So when you and I accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, listen, He's not going to mess up your life. He's going to help you. He's going to bless you. I've had far more experiences walking with Him than I would have ever had on my own. I've been in places and got to see things. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about what the world claims is great. I'm talking about just being in His presence and watch all the wonderful things He does uh, that I'd have never seen if I'd have been walking on my own through this life. And so you, when you're born again, when you accept Jesus, when you repent and come to Christ, you get clothed, you get righteousness imputed into your life. Now the journey between here and when you're called home or when the rapture takes place, when the Lord comes back for His church, is about this same righteousness that's been imputed or credited to you is now being worked in the fabric of who you are. So that not only are you have righteousness, not only are you clothed, but it's flooding who you are. And we got this wrong or we didn't go far enough in our study to understand that when Paul said, when, when you're born again, old things are passed away. And it's a continuing verb there in the Greek. It would say, all things are becoming new. You're not going to be perfect as soon as you get up here, but you've changed directions. You've, you've changed families. You're no longer out there with the world. You're now with God and His people. You've changed directions. I've said this, uh, I preached this at my grandfather's funeral about uh, 15, 14 years ago that my grandfather didn't get to go past the 6th grade. He learned how to read and write some, and, and that was about it. Had to go to work, right? 6th grade had to go to work. He did not get his first good job because he called it a resume instead of a resume. Looks like resume to me. All that to say this. He didn't have a godly father. But somewhere along the way, my grandfather decided to give his life to Jesus Christ. You know what he did for all of us? He couldn't study Greek and Hebrew. He didn't have the opportunity. He didn't have near the opportunities I've had. But you know what he did for the family? That ship was going the wrong direction. And my grandfather, just by getting saved, turned it around and got it headed in the right direction. Now, he didn't get to sail very far. He didn't have the opportunities I have had. A lot of stuff he didn't have that I've had the opportunity for. But at least he got the ship turned around. Where would we have been? And my grandfather was the only guy to come back out of his platoon. He was in the Pacific. and war. You think God had a purpose and a plan? So here's what I'm saying to you. When you get born again, you may not be perfect when you leave here. But at least you got the ship turned around. And now you're sailing in the right direction. Amen. Talk to my wife. You all don't even have a perfect pastor. No, don't talk to her. Let me change. <laughs> okay, so sermo. That's important. The reason I brought that out is Jesus was the sermon. 
He was the sermon. He was the way. He was the truth. He is the life. Now let me take you uh, to John 1 just a little bit more. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, the sermo. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light, as the, and the light shines in darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. That's what happened when God sent His Son on Passover. He sent Him to the earth to bring light to bring deliverance, to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness, to give us eternal life. I could die today, but I don't have to worry about where I'm going to be because I have believed in the Lamb of God who came to the earth, who was given to me for eternal life. If you're a Christian, the game's rigged. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ and believe on the game's rigged because Paul said to live is Christ to die's gain, you cannot lose. And I'll tell you this. I know some of us have lost people we loved and we miss them. And some of them we've lost way too early. I understand that in our estimation. But there's nobody in heaven that if we could talk to that would come back here. Do you think they would? Are you nuts? Do we need to pray for you? Do you think anybody in heaven would come back down here? Where would they have to fly into? San Francisco or Philadelphia? Do you think that anybody in heaven would say, nah, I'll give this up and go back down to Kentucky? That ain't happening. So you can't lose. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is the sermon. Now I'm going to take you back to Luke before I close. The Bible says there was no room for them in the end. In my estimation, that is the beginning of rejection of God's Son right off the bat. You notice it doesn't say there was no vacancy. It said there was no room for them. And we don't know all the ins and outs about that, but the Jews have been hated by a lot of people down through the generations, and they're still hated even by people in this country who don't know geography. They need to come to our learning center so we can teach them geography. They've been hated, and they're hated not because the world has singled out one group to hate, but they're hated because Satan hates them. Your Messiah has Jewish descent in this life. His fleshly side came through Judaism, from the Jews, from the Israelites. His father is God. So this virgin conceived, right? As we put flesh and blood on that, this virgin conceived, and there were so many risks there for Joseph. And the Bible said Joseph wanted to put her away privately because he loved her. And we talked about all this last Sunday morning. Here Jesus is coming into this life. He's a Jewish Messiah. So Christmas belongs to the Jews, if you want to say it that way. And whosoever will. If you'll go back and study what God was willing to do when He raised up. Let me finish by saying this. Abraham was not a Jew originally. He was a Chaldean. God called him out of Chaldea. Set him apart. Said, your family's the line I'm going to use to send my son to the earth. And he did. And he separated him. 
made a special group of people so that line would be used to bring the Messiah into the world at the appointed time. So Abraham, or Abram at the time, was a Gentile. He was a Chaldean. There were no Jewish people. God separates him, another type of salvation, right? He separates him, gives him a call, and says, you're going to be the family line I use. You know why God said that? Because Abraham pulled some stunts just like us. But you know what God said about Abraham? He called him his friend. But he also said, this is what he said about Abraham. I'll give him my ways because he'll be faithful to hand it down to the next generation. And that's the first question I want to ask you about Christmas. Are you handing down what God gave you to the next generation? I'm not talking about natural things. I'm talking about spiritual. Today or maybe tomorrow, whenever you gather up about Christmas, who's going to be the person to say, let's remember why this is here. Let's remember what this is. Is it going to be you? Or are you going to just let the family have a big time without bringing up Jesus? Well, some people don't. If you need to get strength, go get another glass of punch and come back and tell them. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ is the only way out of here. If we surrender that message, there's no need for a church. There's plenty of social clubs out there. There's plenty of people doing humanitarian things. But if the church surrenders up who Jesus really is, we have no, we've lost our purpose for existing. There's no need. We might as well turn this into a casino. We can't lose that. We've got to understand that God sent His Son to die in our place. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So Christmas belongs to the Jews and whosoever will. But if you study the Old Testament, God was always willing to let people assimilate into the Jewish culture. They had to turn from their false gods. Right? It's all pictures of salvation that where we stand today. So I end it with this. Do you have room for Him? My wife shared this with me, and she's working on some things for the women that the Lord's given her. But my wife shared this with me yesterday as I was talking to her about some of this stuff that the Lord had been teaching me. And she said, you know, the difference between what happened to them that day, there was no room for them in the end, and what that one woman did in the Old Testament, build an extra room on her house just for the presence of God. Is that you? Or do you have no room for Him in your life right now? And if you don't have any room for Him, why? Have you ever maybe thought about just sitting down and evaluating your week and seeing how much time you give to these things and these things? And here's the question. Have you given Him any room in your life? Is there any room for Jesus in your life? I'm talking to you that are watching around the world. Is there any room for Jesus in your life? Let's stand to our feet. He is the sermon. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He preached Himself. He said, follow me. That is the message of Christmas. That God sent His Son on the Passover season. And then He raised Him up to die during that same season. Let's bow our heads for a moment.
Father, we thank You. And I know Your Spirit is here. And I know that You are... You speak to all of us. And You draw us and share things with us, Lord. And if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice that has not surrendered their life to You, we ask, Lord, in this moment that You would just touch their heart. Give them the freedom and the strength to make that move today. If you're here this morning and you've not surrendered your life to Christ, in a minute I'm going to open up this altar. And you may feel a little bit shy about coming up here and doing some business with God. But you're not out of place. We've all walked that aisle before. We use our altars here. We use them even as believers. It's not just for somebody to come and get saved or born again. It's for whatever your need is. But if you're here this morning and Jesus has not meant to you what He should mean to you, maybe you've had no room for Him in the end. I want to ask you to just think about that for a moment as we get ready to go into some more worship for this moment. What are you doing with Jesus? Then I ask you that are Christians as we get ready to move into a new year if the Lord be willing. How much time are you giving Him? How much influence does Jesus have in your life? What things maybe are too important to you where you maybe should make an adjustment on your priorities? Have you been making room for Jesus, the Jewish Messiah who gave life to the Gentiles. As we open this altar, whatever your need is, maybe you're ready to surrender. Maybe you're a prodigal. Maybe you've been running away. Maybe you've been out there living, running with the world. Maybe it's your time to come home. Whatever your need is, this altar is open as we take this moment to worship Him.